This is a LifeGate Church podcast. Tune in to hear from our team as we encourage you to discover the freedom and purpose that Jesus offers. If you want to find out more about who we are, visit lifegate.org.au. So my name is Mark Shum. I've already been um, introduced. I'm actually um, one of the elders here at LifeGate. Um, I've been coming to this church for quite a few years now, um, and it is a wonderful place. Um, you might see, I'm sorry, I've got a beard on. I'm still kind of in holiday mode. Um, we've spent quite a lot of um, <clears throat> time, excuse me, away from out of Sydney, just getting away from different things. And um, my wife, Kelly, and my two girls, or our two girls, Holly and Eliza at the moment, are um, at Shoal Bay. Um, my father-in-law has had a lot of skin cancer and um, has had a lot of surgery on his chin and um, they got to a, a part of his chin where they just couldn't remove any more. So he's actually undergoing ray, radio, radiography, radiation therapy. Thank you, radiation therapy. Um, so he's looking um, pretty red and sore. So if you remember Alan in your prayers this week, that would be great, not only for healing but also for him and also his partner Jenny that they would also come to know Jesus as well. So today we're talking about um, being courageous. We've been talking about this all, all this, this year because it is a time now, I believe, that it is harder to be a Christian. We need to be courageous in, in how we act and in how we deal with people. So let me just pray um, and we'll just get into um, this message Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you that you are a loving God and you're a mighty God. Lord, I just thank you also that you made a way for us to come to know you and for um, for us to, to come into your kingdom. And so, Father, I just pray that as I talk about being courageous and I talk about a, a young man who showed incredible um, um, courage in the face of um, some quite um, powerful people, that we would also take a lesson from that today as well. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, today um, I was just getting myself prepared for this morning and um, I looked out the window and there was the moon. Okay, so it's a beautiful thing, isn't it, the moon? And, of course, this um, Saturday was actually the 50th anniversary of um, Apollo 11, um, Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, um, landed on the moon. And I don't know if you've... You're probably under a rock if you didn't know that, maybe, because it just seems to be on TV. Um, I have to say about being on a rock, I have been under a rock. Um, I didn't even realise... I got so disconnected from like what was going on in the world that I didn't even know that the state of origin was being played. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, and I woke up Thursday morning and Dad goes, oh... The blues one. So I've, I've had a really great kind of holiday. So um, I was under a rock. So maybe you're under a rock as well, but it is the 50th anniversary um, yesterday of Neil Armstrong, of course, the first man um, on, to walk on the moon. So Neil Armstrong seems to be the guy that seems to get a lot of the kudos. Here he is here. Um, there's quite a reason for it. He's quite an exception, exceptional man. Um, and here he is um, in May 1969, um, just about to um, get in this thing called, thing called the pogo stick. Um, and it was called an LLTV, um, Lunar Landing Training Vehicle. So the problem is, how do you land a spacecraft on the moon if you've never been to the moon? 
Okay, so you can see that he tries to land it, something happens, and some things then start to go a bit um, crazy for him, very wrong. And I'm just going to get this quote up here. So he ejects, apparently he bit his tongue, okay, um, and then, he, then, he, then he, he walks off. He actually walks off and he goes into his office. And here is a quote by this um, guy called James Hansen. And he was talking to this astronaut called Alan Bean. What a great name. I still don't think it's as good as Buzz Aldrin. I think that's like the astronaut name, isn't it? Probably because of Buzz Lightyear, maybe. Um, but Alan Bean. So Alan Bean didn't even know anything about what had happened, kind of like me with State of Origin. And um, he saw Armstrong in the afternoon at his desk doing, doing work. And so then Bean heard from colleagues in the hall talking about this accident. And he's like, what accident? And then he finds out that um, Neil Armstrong has just crashed the LLTV, the pogo stick. And he's on. when did this happen? And they said, oh, about an hour ago. So Bean then returned to Armstrong and said, I just heard the funniest story. Armstrong said what? He says, I heard that you bailed out of the LLTV only an hour ago. Yeah, I did, replied Armstrong. I lost control and I had to bail out of the thing. And then he says, this is what Bean said, I can't think of another person, let alone another astronaut, who could have just gone back to his office after ejecting a fraction of a second before getting killed. So quite an exceptional guy. In fact, he, um, he beat death quite a few times um, in his life. But anyway, an exceptional guy. And of course, he's now passed away. But I'm talking about a different courage as well. I'm a school principal of a Christian school. And over the last two years, I've seen quite an exceptional change in our society. And what I mean by that is that things that we would think were just we take for granted, as in um, being able to speak freely, being able to speak about my faith, being able to even employ um, Christian teachers. It's really important that I'm able to employ Christian teachers because that is actually a, a key competency of our school. So these things were looking like that they could actually be taken away from us. See, it's like a dinner party. And we used to be at the head of the table, the dinner party was there, we were invited. But now, we're not invited. And you may not even get an invitation. So how did we get to a place like this? So we need to live, we're living in a time where we need to be courageous and we need to be speaking to people. It's becoming unpopular at times, even to, to express your faith. Okay, And I'm not going to get into Israel Falau, but there's a prime example of it. But there are heaps of other um, young men and women in Australia who at the moment are actually going through different court cases and things because um, they've said some things um, about um, who Jesus is um, and they've been ruck, what do you call it? raked over the, the hot coals over it. And so um, it does happen. But what we're going to talk about today um, is from a passage of John 9. And I'd like you to get it up because it's 41 verses and we're going to read it, okay? And it's not up on the screen because it would be too many slides. So if you want to get um, to John 9 while I talk, 
um, that would be great. But we need to do a little bit of a background before. So Jesus, um, in chapter 7, and even before that, he's in a bit of um, strife with these group of people called the Pharisees because he did some healing on the Sabbath, and we'll get into that a bit later about why that's a problem. So in chapter 7, the feast of the booths is happening. And this is one of the feasts where people are required to go to Jerusalem um, and to do temple worship. And so everyone is looking for Jesus, especially the Pharisees, to see what he's going to do, but he goes in secret. But Jesus being Jesus, he's got a burning passion. He's got a passion for people. He's got a passion for you and me. And so the gospel that Jesus came to show, to deliver, to bring to us, is about people. And so in, in John 7, um, Jesus then starts to talk about the desire of, for the world. And he talks about, come, all you who are thirsty, okay, come to me. He starts talking about his authority, okay, and his origin. And so he talks about where that God has sent him and that he, he actually came from the Father. So he's actually showing, telling, and, and the Pharisees are like, we don't even know this guy, and now he's saying like he's you know, better than us and this kind of stuff, and they're getting really, really um, quite testy with him. And then finally in chapter 8, verse 42, Jesus utters the I am words. And what I mean by that, they were starting to argue about where he came from and they were trying to make him out to look like a sinner, um, which we'll again explain a bit later how they were doing that. But Jesus then says this statement about um, before Abraham, I am. Now, on the face of it, that's saying that Jesus existed for Abraham. And that's like 2,000 years or so, okay, before um, this event that happened. And so they go, what? You're not even like 50, okay? Um, but the thing that really got them riled up was the words I am were the exact same words that God said to Moses when God introduced himself back into humanity and said, I am who I am. And so in that very, um, that very those words, what Jesus was saying is that he was God. The Pharisees took exception to that, said that's blasphemy. They picked up rocks. I don't know why there were rocks in the temple, but there were, okay? Um, okay? Um, might be some one of those um, Sydney high-rise buildings, eh? But um, anyway, um, <laughs> you don't get there either. But, um, and they're about to stone him, about to kill him. And Jesus slips away. So this is the environment that is happening in John 9, okay? It is a highly emotional um, environment. And what's interesting um, is in John 9, Jesus just walks out. He's one courageous guy. He knows where God has put him. He knows his purpose. He knows his place. And he was completely comfortable with conflict. The next thing I just want to quickly talk through as well is about these three concepts that you're going to be talking, reading about in John 9. One is to do with Pharisees. One is to do with these words called the Jews. Okay, And the other one is to do with um, a synagogue. So the Pharisees were a group of people which meant separate, to be separate. On the face of it, they desired relationship 
with God. They wanted to be holy. They wanted to please him. They had a zeal for God. Sounds great, doesn't it? But how they went about it was where they got themselves into trouble. See, the Pharisees had these two things. They had the Mosaic law and then they had this thing called the oral tradition. Now, the Mosaic law was actually the law that God handed down to Moses. So it's actually not Mosaic law, but we call it that because Moses wrote it down and introduced it to the Israelites. And in that, that whole idea of that law was to tell us and to show us that we could not live up to the expectations that God had for us. So there were laws. Have you ever heard the, the term? I've said this quite a bit, but if I have, forgive me if you've heard it before. Um, but we say, oh, he broke the law or she broke the law. That's a wrong statement. The law never gets broken. The law breaks you. It still stands, doesn't it? And so the whole idea of this law was that you, would, you could never measure up. You were not good enough. And so for us to, to, for us to um, pay for our sins... God then introduced this whole idea of um, animal sacrifice. And this sounds in our day and age pretty like, whoa, what are you talking about? But the whole idea and the concept was it is that sin leads to death. And there had to be a payment for it. Okay? And so there was sacrificial law, as we called it. So that's the Mosaic law. And from those Ten Commandments, I think they counted something like 611, I think it was, different kind of laws. Interesting, there are 356 don'ts in it, one for each day. 300, yeah, 365, sorry, 365. So the Pharisees were so concerned about um, breaking these laws, okay, which they should be, okay, but instead of then going to God and saying, all right, I'm going to... I'll make sacrifice, I will, um, I will pass my sins on to an innocent animal. It would then be um, um, killed and slain in front of me and then my sins would be forgiven. They decided that they would bring these laws and regulations that went on the outside of Mosaic law. It was like a hedge of protection. And the concept was, if I keep all of these rules and these regulations, if I keep these, I will never ever break one of the laws. Therefore, I'm perfect and I'm holy. So it's saved by works. We call it legalism. I'll give you an example. And this is where Jesus was getting himself into trouble. Well, he wasn't getting himself into trouble. The Pharisees were getting themselves into trouble. So in Exodus, in the Mosaic law, it says, refrain from work on the Sabbath. And so then the Pharisees then said, all right, what does that mean? What does that mean in all different kind of areas of our life? And so this is just one regulation, okay? There were, there were a multitude of them, and they were passed down orally, okay, until they're written down a bit later, and that's why it's called the oral tradition. So it says healing is the work of a doctor, right, a physician. Therefore, one cannot heal on the Sabbath. So when Jesus heals someone, you're doing work, Therefore, you're a lawbreaker. Therefore, you're a sinner. Therefore, you are not who you say you are. Can you understand the, the logic of that? It's illogical, but it's, that's their logic. All right, let's get into um, the Jews. Thank you. Let's get into the Jews. Um, the Jews were 
because I've spent quite a bit of time on that. The Jews were um, Pharisees, the Sadducees, which were made up of chief priests, um, and then also the scribes, okay? And they did this thing called the Sanhedrin. They were the, the law. They were the court. So when the, when the Jews said something, that was law. The synagogue is uh, another place outside of the temple in different villages and towns where people would come to learn about um, God. They would pray. They'd have community. To be cast out of the synagogue would be to lose your social standing, your financial, your legal standing. You would be completely a non-person. So to be thrown out of the synagogue was a big deal. Let's get into John 9. I should have got someone to read it for me, I think. All right, that's all right. I'll, I'll, I'll go through it. Thank you anyway. Okay, John 9, have we got it? Um, I'm reading from ESV, I'm sorry. So yours might be a little bit different. As he passed by, that's Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus doesn't actually answer their question. He redirects them. He's talking about the gospel here. It's about people. It's about people coming to know Jesus. And Jesus saying, I've got these works to do. Okay? And while I'm here, there are people to save. And that's like us as well. While we are here on earth, okay, there are people that, that come, come into our interactions that, that need Jesus. Verse 6. Having said these things, he spit on the ground, this is to the blind guy, and made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbours and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am that man. Okay, the reason they're finding this so hard is because this is a miracle that has never, ever, ever happened. It's unique. Okay, here we've got um, Jesus giving a man sight who was born blind. This isn't not just restoration, this is creation. Okay, this is, this is quite remarkable. And so they are right to be like going, well, <laughs> what's kind of happening here? This is so, so different. So they said to him, this is verse 10, how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus, so he calls him a man, because he hasn't even seen him yet. Okay, you're still blind when Jesus put mud on his eyes. The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Salom and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? How would he know? Um, he's never seen him. 13. They brought to the Pharisee the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day. Sabbath day, when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes, okay? So he's healed and he's done work. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight, and he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Pretty simple testimony, right? 16. 
Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such, such signs? And there was division among them. So we're going to be talking about Pharisees today, but please note that there were Pharisees in there that are going, Hey, hang on, there's something about this Jesus. And we know that um, we had... Um, Pharisees who then actually then came to know Jesus. We've got in John, we've actually got this whole story about Nicodemus as it goes through, secretly goes to see Jesus. He then um, publicly defends Jesus in the Sanhedrin and at the end when Jesus is crucified, he is there burying him. 17. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said... He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he, is born, and he was born blind. But how, we, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. That's truthful. They hadn't, met Je- they hadn't met Jesus. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. So legal rights, social rights, um, your political, everything, gone. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. His parents just threw him under the bus. It's a lot of pressure on them, isn't it? You put that kind of pressure on a person. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God, as in don't lie. Tell it's God, you know, it's not this, this Jesus guy. We know that this man is a sinner. So straight up the Pharisees are now on their, their opinion of Jesus is not inquiry, it's that he's a sinner. Therefore, everything that we're now going to argue is going to be along that line. And this is where the, the illogical stuff comes out. 25. By the way, when you're in such a um, tense situation, what are you kind of taught to do? Be quiet, right? Duck. Hide for cover. Duck and cover kind of thing. Maybe this was a time for it. And this is what's remarkable about this young man. He answered, this is verse 25, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I, bl- though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? And listen to this one. Do you also want to become his disciples? <laughs> Pretty courageous guy, uh, yeah. Um, and they, they then reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are the disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why? This is amazing. So they've just insulted him, and now he's into him again. Why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshipper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since. Yeah, so there is that, that key bit of evidence, isn't it? Okay, that um, 
worshippers of God, okay, God listens to um, the ones who worship God. Okay, so he's saying that his credentials by his miracle says who he is. By his actions, he is saying who he is. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. And namely, I'm not, okay, because I'm perfect. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. And so there is... Pride and arrogance in that that statement there. 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, who is he? Sir, that I may believe in him. So this guy has just argued simply on a testimony about I met this guy called Jesus, my life changed. And he wasn't going to go back on it. Jesus said to him, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, for the judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see me may see and those who see me may become blind. And there's a little bit more but on that, but we'll, we'll continue because I need to, to move on. So the first thing I want to talk about today, these are going to be very quick, is the courage to stand your ground. So this guy, he was abused he was rejected and he was insulted, okay? But he continued um, with his testimony about who Jesus was and what he'd done. So what I want to ask you guys today is the first get real, take action. Where in your life is the opportunity to speak into what Jesus has done in your life? What's your testimony? Your testimony is so powerful. I'll let you just reflect on that a little bit before we go on to the next thing. The next thing I want to talk to you about is the courage to act. Now, the courage to act is something that that is is imperative in in all of us. It is very easy for us as Christians to, to actually stay silent and maybe not so much Um, argue a point but actually do nothing and this is I think where some of the problem is with actually where we are at the moment in society see as Christians there's got to be a difference in us if Jesus has transformed us made him into our likeness what is the output it's not being saved through my actions but it's actually being saved and being transformed by allowing Jesus to come into my heart, renewing me, creating me a new person, giving me freedom and purpose to actually do the things that God wants me to do. There's got to be actions that come come out of that. Julian the Apostate, 4th century Caesar, he was the last of um, the pagan um, Roman emperors. This guy wanted to reinstate the way that the the Romans used to practice their religion. Um, He had seen over the four centuries since Christianity had come in, it had changed stuff. 
And he's like, what's going on? And so he systematically then tried to, he did, he removed Christians from any um, place of authority. Um, He restricted them in commerce, um, politically, financially. He tried to put them down. And here is a quote, and I love this quote because he's complaining about these atheists, that's the Christians, okay, about what they're doing and how how dare they do these things. So here we have atheism. The Christian faith has been especially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the uh, the burial of the dead. It is a scandal. It is a scandal that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar and that the godless Galileans care only for their own poor but for ours as well while those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. God has brought up people that can argue, but he's brought up all of us to show love in action. Christians transformed Rome and the Roman Empire by their actual service to, to, to humanity. The gospel is about people and how People's lives are transformed. Get real, take action. How can you act in Jesus' love and transformative power? What opportunities do we, the church, have? Have we stepped into every area that the God has put for us to do? That's something I want you to reflect on and to think through and pray, and pray about. Because if we say um, God is love, how do we show his love? Jesus said in John that he said that you will, they will know, as in people will know who I am by the way that we, Nikki, is she here? Love, love each other, okay? Love each other. So what opportunities do we have? How am I showing love in action? The last one I want to just quickly look on is the courage to reflect. Now, me saying this, um, I have to say that um, during this week, I was on the carpet repenting because what I want to talk about is this whole idea of legalism. And I'll go back to that as well. See, as a young guy, I grew up in the Salvation Army and I'm not going to bag um, the Salvation Army as an organisation or as a church because... um, I loved it um, and it did a lot for me. And so what I'm about to say, please take it in not in what they were wrong but actually how I responded in that environment was wrong, okay? So as a young guy, the army had these rules and regulations. Actually, it was actually called rules and regulations because it was set up like kind of like a military kind of thing, okay? And they were good in the sense that it helped people kind of guide them in the way that how they should live. But what it, how I responded to that was that I followed those rules and regulations and so I looked like a model Christian young man. I went in from a Christian school into a secular school. I did not compromise on what I believed. Kids spoke differently. They act differently. They did all sorts of things. I just didn't go down that way. Because... These are things that I was taught. The problem is with it that I didn't actually know Jesus. I knew of him, 
But internally, I was a rebellious young man. I was a legalist. And legalism comes into us all the time. This guy called Charles Spurgeon, I did actually cut it off because in this photo he's actually got this big cigar um, also as well. I think this guy actually said he smokes to the glory of God, but anyway. Um, it was back then when like cigarettes were like a health thing, right? Okay, it's like totally good. Actually, there was a guy in um, uh, it, um, Winchester Cathedral that was sinking and they put this, um, this diver and he dove right underneath into this, like the murky water for a couple of years and he was putting bags of concrete in it to save it. Um, and what he did to save himself from um, getting lung, can- um, lung infections and stuff like that, he would have a cigarette after every time he came up because that would like fix everything up, right? But anyway, I digress. Um, Charles, Charles Spurgeon He says, beloved, the legalist in us is a great deal older than the Christian. If I were a legalist today, I should be some 15 or 16 years older than I am as a Christian, for we are all born legalists. See, the problem is with legalism is a few things. The first thing is that if we start to follow rules and regulations instead of allowing Jesus to come in and transform our lives and make him into his likeness, we actually start to sever our conscience, our heart, and our brain. And so when we do hear the Holy Spirit saying, hey, you need Jesus, I just sit there and go, I'm fine, I do these kind of things. The Pharisees, they wanted to know God. But when they see God in the flesh standing there in front of them, their legalist brain severed from their heart. They didn't respond. It's a dangerous thing. The other thing about legalism is it's contagious because people love to follow rules. And so what happens? Other legalists then create other legalists. The other thing that it does is it actually stops us from actually fulfilling the freedom that Jesus has in our life. The freedom to transform us, the freedom to set us from our sins, freedom from finances, sickness, all of those things that Jesus wants to speak life into, put life into our life. Freedom. And then he wants to give us purpose. He's got things for you to do. And if we live in a legalist mindset, we miss all of that. So, some really quick things. Legalism checklist. Legalists know what to say, but they don't do what they say. I love my neighbour. Do I show it? They practice faith that is seen by others. So they turn up, they show up and do these things. Oh, yeah, he's a great bloke. She's a great, she's great. But they're only doing it because it's just the things that they do. It's not actually for a genuine love of people. Add convictions and traditions to the word of God. So instead of trusting God on, his, his, on, his, on what his promises are and, he, and us entering into relationship, we start to put in these rules and different things that this is how we're going to live our kind of life. But we miss the whole point. It's about relationship. We lack love for people in need. And then we cover sin instead of confessing and repenting. I'm just going to ask the, um, the, the band to come up. We're just going to sing a song. 
And I want to us uh, just to reflect on this last point, and this is where we need to be courageous. Where in my life does legalism live? Are there things today that we need to actually come before for Jesus? A couple of weeks ago, Nathan was giving a, a talk, a sermon, and I was sitting actually over here, and he asked um, if that's, that message, if that resonates in your heart, I'd like you to stand. I had to make a choice that day. The legalist brain says, I'm all right, it'll pass. Well, the heart after God says, I'm not all right. So I stood. Thanks for joining us on the LifeGate Church podcast. Our church is a place to discover the freedom and purpose that Jesus offers. 